Hi friends, welcome once again to Magnolia Radio. My guest today is my good friend Cody Rogers from up in uh, Corinth, Mississippi. He's got a new album out called Tishamingo. Enjoyed talking to him about uh, still living in the same town he grew up in and like what that means as a songwriter, how it affects you as a person, and uh, you know what it's like to grow up as a preacher's kid, which seems to be a theme that's happening here. So yeah, I thought it was a really good talk, and I'm going to play some of his music along the way. So y'all settle in, and I hope y'all can smell what we're cooking down here. Today would be that day, all you need is a few dollars for the Hyundai. A few dollars is that all it takes to run. A few dollars is that all it takes to run. And I feel the darkness. Blown shadow over us. So you are from Corinth, Mississippi originally? Yes. And you live there now. But I think when I first met you, well, when I first met you, you might have been living there, but I think you were living in Oxford, probably. Yeah, I mean, I moved away from Corinth when I was like 18. And uh, I moved to Nashville, lived in Starkville, lived in Oxford, lived in Jackson. I didn't realize you lived in Starkville. Yeah. I lived in Starkville for a bit. I'm sorry. 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, it was even worse 20 years ago. But uh, anyway. No, I lived, when I lived in Starkville, I lived on a uh, this apartment that barely could even call an apartment. It was on a horse farm out in the county. And it was... I mean, a, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> it was converted to an apartment... Uh, it, it just had plaster walls on it, yeah. bare necessities, no windows, didn't know when it was day, didn't know it was night kind of thing. Yeah. My landlord was this ancient guy, um, barely, barely had enough money for the power. And I remember that first winter when we turned on the heat, me and my roommate, we got that bill and it was like 500 bucks. And we lost it. And we had somebody from the power company come out and they were like, yeah, that thing in there is from like 1971. The the air conditioner? Yeah. And uh, that's the reason why your power bill is so high. And we just started crying because we realized we weren't going to be able to have So you thought you were in a good situation. And then as soon as you were in there, you were like, this is not going to be good. No. Yeah. But I lived in Starville for about a few years. And... uh, now I'm back in my hometown. It's, yeah. yeah. There's nothing to do in that town you know, <laughs> now, at all. Especially if you don't go to college. And it might be now. I mean, I hear it's changed. I honestly just haven't been there. And, you know, and so us being Oxford dudes, we should probably not just rag them no, the whole time. No, I'm not trying to be to. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> trying to be open into all Mississippians. Right, right, right. So. right. Um, <laughs> were you in college at the time? No, I wasn't. Me neither. My girlfriend was. I, I, I like was trying to get out of my factory construction working job where I was outside in the heat all day. And I got this job doing computer tech support at like at this place there. It was a pretty good job, but I was only there for like a couple months and I was like, this is terrible. Like I do not, (laughs) this is worse sitting in this cubicle all day, you know, talking to people from all over the country who were just trying to figure out how to turn their computer on. Right. (laughs) I just, for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, it was like, I just quit. So, I, but you know, I made some money. It's funny. I like made enough money to kind of pay my rent for a, a few months. And so I just stayed there and I literally would just like wake up at like noon every day and go to the gas station and buy like two packs of Pall Mall 100 lights and go get like a four for four at Wendy's and like, you know, a 12 pack of beer. And that was 
my whole day. I just like did that. <laughs> I, that's all I ate. I smoked both of those every day and like drank all that beer and like played my guitar and like wrote songs and you know recorded shit on my computer. So It's a very similar experience to what <laughs> I had in Starville. <laughs> yeah. It's weird being in a college town and not being a college guy uh, yeah. like that in your early 20s. situation i just came off of doing construction with my dad for for like a decade yeah i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna go down here i'm just gonna get a regular nine to five and get into the air conditioning and mm -hmm. quit digging ditches yeah and uh i ended up selling buying books and selling books uh for college college textbooks uh -huh. yeah and i was terrible at it yeah <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I starved at it. Uh, I just wasn't good. Like on the campus bookstore? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going into, because it was based off a of commission. I would go Such into. Such a racket, man. It was a racket. <laughs> and so I had a hard time selling it, especially yeah. coming off of a guy digging ditches. <laughs> You're you know? too honest for that work. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't make any money doing it. As one thing I know about songwriters is we're not salesmen. No. I mean, I, I stand at my merch table and people try to buy stuff. And I'm just like, just take it. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I'm better about it now, but I've just always been bad at selling. And if I had that job, I could imagine myself being like, you, don't buy this book. It's too expensive. You don't need it. Just like go. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, <laughs> I just lost money. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Terrible salesman. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you say that about merch. Uh, my friend Spencer Thomas uh -huh. uh, and I were talking yeah. uh, the other day, and we were talking about how when we get a notification that merch is sold on our band camp or <laughs> something like that, we get anxiety. Really? Uh, yeah, because we're like, okay, this is something we have to fulfill. Yeah. This is yeah, something you we got to do. You got to mail that stuff. Look, and, I got one right there. Like, I just, I just got that today. And so. our question for each other was, why? Why, why, yeah. why are we getting anxiety about somebody being supportive about us and being excited about us? Yeah. Um, what was I, the answer? There is none for, for <laughs> us. I, out, I think yeah. it's either something between songwriters being too lazy or us being our own worst critic and yeah, wanting I mean, to self sabotage. Record labels exist for a reason, you know. <laughs> it's like that's the shit we didn't want to do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to work at a record label selling records. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Either. I do know as an independent artist that I'm terrible at selling my merchandise. Well, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I've definitely had those. I've had those times where. 
<laughs> I, I, it, I understand it because I have those times now where it's like I got a week where I don't have shit to do and I really am like excited about that having like a low key week mm-hmm. you know and then I'll sell like two or three records on on like Bandcamp Friday and I'm just like oh shit now I gotta go to the post office <laughs> <laughs> and so you know I'll, I'll like put it off for, for a few days or you know uh, I think I changed mine to say like shipment within seven days because I'm like as long as I have a week yeah uh, you know I, I'll, I'll I'll feel okay within a week to like go to the post office so. well if for all fans listening I do want your money <laughs> so yeah. don't be afraid to buy that's important you know I uh, and you know that's the system we live in so you know if we're gonna uh and also we make these things and we think they're cool you know we put a lot of thought into what goes on it and also like what it looks like uh i don't i do anyways what about you uh when i get the time do you think i mean <laughs> well you've done some graphic design and stuff too right yes i think you're a pretty good graphic designer and so you used to live in oxford and didn't you work you yes work i worked at here. a screen printing shop here yeah. and i I still do the same thing today. Is that's that right? that's okay. my day my day gig. I nice. um I work remotely for a screen printing shop called Bold Chaps down in Jackson, Mississippi. Cool. And uh band guys hit me up for merchandise and yeah. stuff like that. So So you grew up in Corinth but then you, you kicked around in, in your younger twenties and in Starkville. You went to school in Oxford at Ole Miss for a little bit? No. Or did that, you never go to school? I never went you to just school. Lived here. My wife okay. was the one that took life That's seriously. Right. That's right. That's okay, uh, man. That's uh right. and she she went to Ole Miss, then we went down to Jackson. I see and, what you mean now by being a guy who lives in college towns but doesn't actually go to school. Yeah. It's like everyone is assumes you went to school here because i did too i just kind of was like well he probably went to school here yeah. no no that it's just funny it's it's kind of like uh i used to uh, just go to when i lived here in oxford on a day when i was bored i would yeah. just go to classes sometimes <laughs> and just sit in you're uh, an interesting one cody <laughs> just just for the yeah. heck of it yeah I, just to see if anybody would notice uh <laughs> My my wife sometimes would be like, I'm bored. Would you come sit with me at class? And I, w- I would just show up. What to type class. of classes? Were well, that was during Startville Day. So she had a social studies class uh-huh. uh, that nobody cared. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And uh, history class and stuff like that. Just, okay. just, for, the yeah, his- yeah. just for the heck. <laughs> I mean, I haven't thought of this, but maybe this is the way to solve our, our, our inequities in, in, in higher education these days. Maybe everyone should just start showing up to class yeah. and no one's going to ask you if you're rich, you know, like, I, well, I guess they have roles or whatever, but we got to get organized on this, Cody. We got to. Yeah, we got to clear that. <laughs> we got to them at their own game. So you grew up uh, in Corinth. I don't think I've ever been to Corinth. I think I might have drove through there one time and saw Highway 45, right? Yeah, that's everybody, man. Yeah. It's it's a highway Well, it's town. just so high. It's just so far north. And then usually if you're going to Memphis, you're kind of on this side, you know, you're going at 55 or whatever. And then if you're going to Birmingham, you miss it. I think maybe one time going to Nashville, we decided to go through there or something. Yeah. But... Um, I see a lot of stuff about that town now. It seems like it's kind of cool. Uh, 
Well, but we I, don't have to talk about it if you don't want. No, to, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, we can absolutely talk about Corinth. It's just funny that she said "cool" and Corinth together. And it, <laughs> well, I mean, I am 42 years old, so my kids would tell me that I'm not cool anymore, and I'm just sort of embracing that. Uh, well, I, you know, I've seen, for example, I've like just seen some stuff online where it just it, it's an older town. Uh, well, you just played there last weekend with with Cedric Burnside and and Jimbo Mathis, and like, yeah, that looked like a cool thing that's happening. I mean, stuff like that just basically didn't used to happen. No, in a lot of smaller towns, especially like Corinth, you know, in like Water Valley, just south of here, they do stuff there now. And I grew up here too. Uh, I guess what am I about ten years older than you? Something yeah, like you'd that. be ten years. Yeah. Um, but I grew up just outside of Bruce, you know, which is, I don't know if you've been through there, but I've been just to Bruce. Of here. I mean, Corinth is infinitely cooler than Bruce. <laughs> there's just, just really nothing there and there's never anything going on. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think, you know, I've just seen stuff online about, you know, the, I don't know, restaurants and, and you live there and well, you know, Corinth is, it, it is an old town the, and, uh, there are some very interesting things about it. It, like any old southern town is kind of stuck in its ways like uh, for instance when the flag was changed in the state a friend of mine he painted a mural of the new flag yeah i've seen that yeah. uh on one of the buildings downtown there and the city council got so many complaints about it about people being mad that it was the new flag well, see i didn't know that that they uh, banned all murals in the town really to try and get in front of that. <laughs> well, that's a bummer. Okay. Yeah. I'm so a, I, you, I go back now. Corn's not cool anymore. <laughs> so you got stuff like that. You know, well, you still, know I, I saw that online. I almost just brought that up. And I think that was, you know, I think that's interesting because it did sort of uh, get into my perception of maybe how things were going there. But um, there is things yeah. moving forward. And there's so many interesting things that they don't focus on about that town. Right. They're very zeroed in, you know, about the Civil War and stuff like that. And that's interesting especially if well, you're, you're close to some battlefields there yeah stuff, right if yeah. you're over the age of 65 and white it's it's really interesting <laughs> yeah uh but i mean there is like the state line mob a lot of people don't uh -huh. know about that about how on the state line right there back in the 60s the dixie mafia operated there oh, yeah and uh, they had a bar on one side and and a uh, hotel had prostitutes on the other. It was based there. It was, or, you know, it was so Corinth is right on the Tennessee yeah. line, right? And it was a dry uh -huh. county, and yeah. McNary on the other side was wet. Okay, I got you. So it was all planted right there yeah. on the line, right? So that people from Alcorn County could ride up and have a good time on the weekend, spend yeah. all their money, and it go to the Dixie Mafia, mm -hmm. and then come back. Uh, but so many crazy things happened during that time. My dad, uh, he was actually a pool hustler there back in the day. Yeah. Uh, he worked for them. Uh, he would go up on the weekends and uh, hustle people out of their money for pool. A regular Paul Newman yeah. type. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no. my dad's the kind of guy that'll watch that movie and be like, that's not how it really goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's but, awesome. But he, you know, he worked there. I, I think the most people would know about that is the Buford Pusser story, uh -huh. yeah. which, you know, is a crock of shit. Yeah. Uh, he, he was just as crooked and bad as the rest right. of them. Uh, my dad remembers holding a case of beer and being a little kid in his face smashing into his belt buckle, trying to walk out the door and him coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, 
all sorts of crazy things, people winding up dead that didn't pay. They would show up on the tracks tied up with their yeah. throat cut. And like uh, Jesse James one time uh, robbed a bank there. And there, there's things infinitely more interesting yeah. than zeroing in on the fact that there's train tracks there. And I think it's also one of the reasons why I am where I am. Right. Because I've been all over this country mm-hmm. and... I don't know if you feel this way, Andrew, but I don't really feel like I fit 100% just anywhere with with anything like that. I feel I'm the t- same way. I'm too, yeah. I'm too Southern and country for my friend, for well, not my friends, but for the people up north. And uh, I'm way too far left for the people I know right. down here at home. So yeah. why wouldn't I just be home if I'm going to meet the same uh, kind of deal wherever I go. Yeah, if you're going to feel out of place, you might as well feel out of place somewhere that feels comfortable. Right. You know, and you know the way around and all those types of things. You know? But, yeah. yeah, like one time, me and my wife, uh, we were on vacation and we were out in Texas right past Amarillo, you know, the Cadillac Ranch right there. Yeah, I've been, It was like yeah. five in the morning. Yeah. Uh, we just woken up. We had a long drive ahead of us and... We were like, well, let's go see Cadillac Ranch. That's the thing to do. And then we'll hit the road. And we get there, and there's one other person there, a girl about our age, and she's from Boston. Mm -hmm. And she's kind enough to take our picture, and we take her picture for her, and she asks us where we're from. We say Mississippi. And I'll never forget the look on her face. Mm -hmm. And then she immediately said, oh, if I was from there, I'd shoot myself in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. At Cadillac Ranch, yeah. this happened to you. That, yeah. That's something, and that's a scene from a movie right there. Yeah. I, so, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the problems that we as a country face today is tied uh-huh. into that perception yeah. of the idea of what a southern white, southern white man and woman supposed to be. Has your heart been pistol whipped by time of love and you want to grip on the things you do, on the things you choose, and do they choose you? This is your land, my land. Everybody trying to tell you how to be free, but you don't feel free. Wrestling angels every night. Underneath downtown lots and the piles of beans They all sing Singing na na Oh, everybody singing na 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 Oh, everybody singing na na And I'm not going to pretend that that stereotype isn't true in various degrees Yeah but there's no nuance for it. Right. Um, I've been met with admosity in that regard and many times. Yeah. Uh, the second people hear my accent. I remember one time, us, me and my wife being in Nashville, and uh, this salesman heard her accent and said, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And then started mimicking her. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just this, uh, I think that, People in other parts of the country have gotten too comfortable with the scapegoating uh, idea 
for poor white Southerners uh, right. in, in this country. I'm not going to pretend that the MAGA thing doesn't fall squarely. It, <laughs> it's not helping. <laughs> but they also yeah. need to understand that this place has a 200-year history right. of rich white men telling poor white people what to think right. and what to believe yeah. and holding things from them and telling them, see, it's their fault. I, I dealt with that when I first started touring. I guess it was about 20 years ago. Um, I was pretty conscious of my of my accent and I would uh, I guess I learned to code switch. I didn't even know what that word was until about a year or two ago when my wife taught me about it. Uh, but I yeah, I definitely did it. You know, I would like change my accent just because I didn't, you know, want people to say anything about it. I mean, I felt embarrassed, you know, I could just, when I want to talk and stuff like that, people would just look at, you know, look at you say things. And even when they, if they were trying to be nice about it, being like, Oh, I love the way you talk, you know, look yeah, at, you know, it's a I pat on the head kind of way. Yeah. It's just so like condescending, you know, but then when I would start singing, they loved it. So right. I think there is a, there's it, to me, that's, what's interesting about it is that country music is so big. And so it's weird that you had that experience in Nashville, you know, well, you Nashville's know, like the Southern music capital of the world. I guess there's you know? so many transplants. I don't know. People just like, don't give a shit anymore about stuff like that. So no, they don't. Uh, but I do feel like, uh, whereas the left knows that the blind spots for, uh, the Southerners and right-wing America, they are very, very quick to not understand their own blind spot with a, a taught superiority right. to uh, what they perceive as ignorant, well, they uneducated. Won, they won the war, Cody. Yeah. That's what it's all about, right? <laughs> well, that, that it is funny, and that's why, going circling back to my hometown, we're still talking about the Civil War in my hometown. It's yeah. because it affects everything. It bleeds over into, you were talking about how it's a part of everything. It's in the soil. Uh, it's all bled into our subconscious. To Shamingo, my dearest Domingo, how long have we been on this trail? I know there's been times I've been a fool I know there's been times I've been cruel But I didn't want to be Take a look up from your book And see Passing world is not waiting for us to change. It's not waiting for you to rearrange the best and worst of these. I woke up and looked around. me 
a teenager, one of the songs that made me want to become a songwriter was uh, A Pawn in the Game uh, by Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of relevancy uh, still now where he talks about the South politician preaches to the poor white man, you got more than the blacks don't complain. And then he has the line in there about uh, he's like a dog on the chain, he ain't got no name, but it isn't him to blame. He's only a pawn in the game. Yeah. Not trying to erase fault uh, right. of poor white Southerners and uh, the white South in general, but I think that there's a nuance they're often forgotten. Yeah, for sure. Mainly, I want to talk about your new record today. Yeah. Well, a lot, is, a lot of the record deals with yeah. with a lot of this. I mean, the title is Tishomingo. Right. Um. Is Corinth in Corinth's not in Tishomingo no. County, though, right? <laughs> Tishomingo County is just east all corn, of there. Alcorn is not as good a title as Tishomingo. That's but, true. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I grew up right there by Tishomingo. Tishomingo State Park is right. a thing, right? Yeah. And would go up there all the time as a kid. Uh-huh. And in my teens, it's a big part of what shaped who I am today. Yeah. And uh, I never really envisioned myself, in all honesty, uh, moving back home. But I have. And mm-hmm. when I did, that became something for me to reckon with because I was like, well, here I am. It's mm-hmm. the it's the end of my 20s. Um, I really have only gone so far yeah. uh, with my music. And here I am trying to look at houses with the big 3-0 hanging over yeah. me. Uh, where where do I go from here? Yeah. And I'm, I'm back right back where I started, where I vowed. I wouldn't return. I always assumed I'd be somewhere else. And there was a lot of inner turmoil over that. And I I couldn't write. It was just so heavy on the mind. Mm -hmm. And David Berman put out that record about that time, uh, Purple Mountains. Purple Mountains record. Yeah. Yeah. And when he released that record, it it like his openness, which we now know, that how raw and real that actually was. Right. Uh, but his openness on that really inspired me. It unlocked yeah. something that 
it, it was like a powder keg and I, I couldn't get anything out. Yeah. And then he, he lit the fuse with that record and something Man, that about is such a good record. It is, yeah. but it's such a brutal record. It's brutal. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to listen to now. It was hard for me to listen to the first time I heard it, but then after he, after he passed, I, would, it, I think I maybe listened to it once. I, I totally get it's that. Too, I mean, it's just too, it's, it's, it's it's too much, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful art. I think, I think a little more time and space and I'll be able to like go back to listening to that stuff. But No, I totally get that. Yeah. And I have many friends that feel the exact <laughs> same way, yeah. but I kind of reveled in it because, uh, it, I wanted to be that honest. Well, at uh, the time he hadn't passed yet too. Yeah. So when it first came out, I mean, I was listening to that record. I don't know. 10 times a week, probably, you know? Yeah, I definitely have spun it less since right. since yeah. then. But during that time, it was, I wanted to be that honest. Uh-huh. I wanted to be that real. And me moving back and think, you know, that saying, you never really can go back home again. Mm-hmm. Entering that space as an adult mm-hmm. who knows who he is, mm-hmm. who, uh, who knows what his life is like, and then everything being the same but everything not really being the same yeah and how how does that all work how do how does me falling back into place with this work and tishmingo the record that's what it became mm-hmm. uh this whole identity crisis slash anxiety yeah uh over the times over over moving back home and what it means to be a white Southerner that isn't MAGA pilled or whatever (laughs) in 2022. And uh, I feel like it accomplished that. Preacher's kids were about the bad things they down in Jackson with Cole Furlow at his studio, The Merchant's Company. Yes. And that's above Howl and Mouse right. restaurant, which is like also, an, uh, if people don't know, that's like kind of one of the older music venues in Jackson, Howl and Mouse is, right? Right. And it's a functioning one, restaurant. It's one of the oldest venues in the state, I'm yeah. pretty certain. And it has 
a restaurant in it and everything, quintessential part of Jackson. Yeah. And we recorded it there with a Jackson crew because I just moved from there. And yeah. we recorded in his studio, which is the second story of that place and basically the attic of Howlin' Mouse. Yeah. So he has a very nice studio space, and right beside it is everything that's ever been in Howlin' Mouse out there in the <laughs> well, attic. That's cool. So all these old posters and everything. I think they just cleaned it out recently. So you were right at home then. Yeah. Um, it, we recorded it. Some things we had dividers, other things was us running cables into bathrooms so we could isolate <laughs> things. You know how it goes. Yeah, I do that in here. Uh, so. Like, for instance, uh, Dent May's tent was there that he used to use for... Uh, Dent's tent, yeah, yeah, for the Grove. Yeah. For the Grove, yeah. and we used it to isolate the drums. Uh, that thing died by the end of the set, by the end of the recording sessions. Uh, one oh, of the legs broke. Sorry, Dent. Don't tell Dent. <laughs> no Dent's tent this year for the LSU game, no. I guess. Um, but Logan Owensby, he was doing drums on, on the record, and yeah. he would get in there in his underwear because we did it in the middle of summer. It was hot. Yeah, yeah. he come out red as a beat. Yeah. Uh, the recordings we did in about a week, and uh, the follow-up recordings for a few songs took about another week. Yeah. And then overdubs we worked on for about a year. Yeah. Uh, along with the... Did y'all do all the overdubs there? Or did some people just do them at their house or whatever? We did everything there except for Preacher's Kids that's on the record. Yeah. Uh, I, I recorded that at home. Okay. Because... Uh, that was when I first got COVID just happened. I just listened to that song. It sounds great. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, that's all Clay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clay, and, Clay and Cole. Yeah. Uh, but I recorded on the tape machine at home and uh, because we were isolated then for COVID. Yeah. And we did some overdubs there on it. And Clay made it all make sense. Yeah, cool. The, uh, so, uh, yeah, let's. Preacher's kid. So, did you grow up a preacher's kid? I did. Yeah. yeah, your dad was a preacher. Yeah. So, my dad's really he should be on a podcast more so <laughs> than me. Uh, he's way more interesting than than I am. He, like I mentioned earlier, he was a pool shark in his early twenties. Yeah. He at that time he had like three Corvettes on the driveway, uh -huh. uh, like <laughs> all from gambling, and uh, he he worked on cars. He stole cars. Yeah. Uh, and he did that basically till the eighties. Um, he has sort of a reputation. Yeah. Uh, Outlaw turned preacher. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. He lives just as hard for Jesus as he did for himself back then. Man, I'm familiar with these types of uh, guys. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the type of uh, pastors and, and youth ministers and music ministers and all that stuff that I grew up with in church. Mm -hmm. uh, only they're dying breed though. I think so. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, preachers that are now are like preachers kids or grew up in church and they're all soft they don't have that <laughs> they don't have that story about how they were bleeding in the gutter you know right more yeah well i, I mean maybe that's progress i don't know <laughs> i don't know Honestly. i don't know um, like i look just like him right uh, so i have old timers coming up to me all the time like for instance a couple months ago i had uh this guy come up to me asking if I was Herbie Rogers' son. I said, yes. Yeah. And he told me about this story about how he was riding in the back of this Camaro back in the 70s with my dad. And he, my dad was riding passenger and some other guy was uh, driving. And they were coming up on this hill 
and my dad kept trying to get him to jump it. <laughs> and he was like, the, the Camaro can do it. Just do it. <laughs> and he wouldn't do it because it was a new car. Oh, yeah. And my dad sulked for a minute, and he waited till they got over the bridge and took out the keys and threw it, threw it out. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and my dad has these stories, too, just like uh, like racing and these back roads and his brand new Plymouth and all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Was, it's long shadows, my friend. Long shadows. Yeah. Like, well, you're a new dad yourself, right? Yes. So you have a son. Yeah. He His name is Atticus, and Atticus. he was born two days after Tishomingo came out. Okay. Uh, it was close to my birthday, I think. July July 9th was when he was born. The record came out July 7th. My birthday is July 9th. That's, that's right. We yeah. have the same birthday. Yeah. yeah. That's a good Good birthday. to share it. Uh, Larry Brown, the Oxford writer, was also born on July 9th, which I think is cool. That is very cool. And we have the same birthday. And kind of odd because, you know, my wife's father's name is Larry Brown. No shit. Yeah. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's strange. Actually working on an album right now. Oh, yeah. Having a son makes a record. And uh, <laughs> writing... Yeah writing to him on everything and i find it I, I like it because i think most of my songs tend to have this why question a mm-hmm. lot uh, and i think all ours do yeah. to some degree i find since i'm writing to my son that it's more direct I, i'm speaking to i'm more of a vessel a narrative vessel than a person looking inward asking why do i do this why are things like that yeah. what's the deal with you know <laughs> that kind of thing or songwriters uh, just jerry seinfeld, seinfeld. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the deal yeah uh, and i find that aspect really interesting um, so you feel like your perspective is sort of shifting shifted. yes yeah, yeah. yes I, I do feel like it's shifting uh, not that there's been like some grand awakening in me because of my son being born. I'm still the same person. Yeah. Uh, it is changed the way I view certain things. Right. Um, I feel like I do have a penchant for being a little bit cynical mm-hmm. and having him and trying to experience all things that I'm used to and take for granted and them being his first time. Yeah. Well, that, that changes kind of the perspective that I'm coming from on them now. Yeah. Uh, instead of being so quick to dismiss little things, right. I'm, I'm being more grateful, being more thankful. That's good. Uh, yeah. For things. And I, I think that that's him. Yeah. Um, but I'm not like one of those parents that all of a sudden the whole world is uh change colors uh, yeah I, I think that that's a little bit unhealthy yeah for sure i don't know if you've heard my record galilee but yeah that record is sort of what came out of the birth of my first son which is kind of weird i guess um but not really well, like when i revisit it mainly the last song on it third person means uh third person is like bringing in mm-hmm. you know that third person to the household was my our first child um, that's what gave me the idea. And then I wrote the entire song in third person. It sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing, which I think is interesting. I, I think it is something about your, I say it as like the first time I saw my son is like a baby boy. And I looked at him it, to me, I did kind of have a moment where I was just like, that's weird. You know, like it's weird to like kind of see a smaller version of yourself that you made. There's something to it. Um, there is absolutely but it came to me more i think in the short time after that i was just like decided to shave my beard one day and i think i sing about that a lot in that record uh 
and I shaved my beard and I like was looking in the mirror and I just had this like experience of something. I don't know if it was just like a, a self-awareness that I had like burying down and like didn't want to see or something like that. But it kind of all tied in with like having this little third person around. And I think I was, you articulated it great. Uh, I don't think I could even, even have even really maybe understood it until now. Uh, so thank you. Oh, no problem. Of like why <laughs> I was viewing things in a little bit from a different perspective. So, yeah, I had a similar moment a couple weeks ago. I picked, you know, I have a little brother mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we've always been very close. Yeah, Jake. Uh, right. Yeah, Jake. Yeah. And uh, we've always been there for each other and always. We had, unlike a lot of brothers, we we always had a great dynamic. And uh, I picked my son up and uh, he looked at me. And the way he looked at me, it was like I was eight years old again and looking at my little brother. Yeah. Because that was about the time he came into our lives. Yeah. And it, it was just this odd awareness of the circle of things and mm-hmm. how these periods and exclamation points and paragraphs that we want to put on everything don't really matter too mm-hmm. much about how it's more of a continuation. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that's another thing with the songwriting aspect that I'm trying to learn to let go of is getting wrapped up in the small. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that us as songwriters, we have a penchant for doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'm letting that go. Yeah. And focusing on bigger aspects. Nick Cave talks a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his work is actually a lot of what I've been listening to while writing this okay. uh, record because a lot of his approach in the last 15 years to yeah. his recordings really makes sense to that idea for me. Not a moment too soon The great highway came It split it in two Now I ramble With a head filled with rain I'm tasted earth's wine I'm tasted its pain to consume There's crying refugees And car bombs on the news Then a that for a cola Then a that for a pill To ease my mind To keep it still So I push the pedal down For it's alright Control and you keep one eye open for the highway patrol. In the back of my car, after we 
send the devil someday Rain fire from above Like those bombs In the streets of Baghdad Like those sermons From your dad So I push the pedal down For it's all I control and you keep one eye open For the highway patrol Every night I've been having the same dream Of my mother On bending me With tear-stained eyes On the Lord she calls She says Your dad was a preacher, so so was he a pastor or was he just a preacher? Because I guess there's you know there's a difference. There is a difference. Uh, he is a you know a pastor of a church. Uh, what type of church? If you don't it, mind me asking, it is a church where you can believe what you want to believe, okay. kind of thing. But yeah. he he tends to lean towards Pentecostalism. I mean, I kind of grew I grew up in that type of church too. Yeah. Uh, it, it, where, it was called non-denominational. Yeah, you know, it was just like there is no. There's no denomination, yeah, but loose. there is a flavor. Right. Uh, and growing up with that, you know, I think I knew we would talk about this. So I was thinking on the way here about what that means uh, to be a preacher's kid and about how all this ties into being a musician. I, I feel like that was mm-hmm. heavily influential on, the, on me being a musician. I feel like growing up with the Bible uh, being the end all meet all. And then all of a sudden you learn to ask why. Yeah. I, I, th- I feel like songwriting, I, I started trying to write songs when I was like 12. Yeah. So that would hit right in the mark, yeah. you know, about when you're starting to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a, that was a coping thing for a long time uh, yeah. with, with that. My dad, his church, is uh in the projects uh-huh. it's uh he makes no money from it yeah uh, neither does my cousin who founded the church with him mm-hmm. uh they've always been a god will provide kind yeah. of church like the bus that they used to run the routes for to pick up the kids uh back in the 90s it was called the yellow dog because there was <laughs> it, it was a beat down school bus yeah and there was a giant hole in the middle of it, like in the floor. In the floor. <laughs> yeah, you had to step over, and if you sat there, you could watch the floor and the row go by underneath you. This is the best church bus I've ever heard. And you got to have the fear of damnation in the middle of the floorboard. <laughs> what's the point? And but I mean, that was how they were. They, yeah. they they believed that it would be provided, and it was always the bare minimum. Here in 
2022, they barely keep the lights on. When they have friends with churches that took a big, nice government check when it was time to take that check, and they they already have everything they could ever need, and uh, they're barely making it. And they do so many great things, like uh, they run a after-school tutoring program. Mm-hmm. They have a basketball gymnasium in there, a professional one. Yeah. And my cousin, he's a very talented coach. And yeah. uh, so all that really serves the community. And if there's people that actually believe, it's them. Yeah. Now, that being said, like I was explaining earlier, my dad was a very night-day kind of transformation yeah. where he was doing all this insane stuff. He got married. My mom started leveling him out in the 80s. He got saved. uh, And it was a Pentecostal church that he got saved in. Right. And he started this sometime around 94. uh, So I was small. And we were there all the time. But it's very different to arrive to that destination than to grow up in that. Uh And... I feel, despite all the quality things, like if I'm going to hold up Christian principles and saying there's somebody that did what they were supposed to do, absolutely would be my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Very loving, very giving. You uh, have a good relationship with them, seems like. I have a great relationship. Yeah. We hang out all the time. Good. But, I mean, it's the little stuff with yeah. the Bible stuff that builds up. Like, for instance, uh, when I was little, I used to suffer night terrors. Uh-huh. And when I would go to my dad about that, he would say, he would talk about how there's a war being waged between heaven and hell and and angels fighting demons yeah. and stuff like that. Lo and behold, I start having nightmarish visions of hell. Uh, you know, <laughs> Wait, which came first? <laughs> After. After he told you. Okay, yeah. yeah. At first, makes, it, at first it was sense. just monsters. Then right, it turned right. into demons and yeah. hell and all that. But yeah, we were so involved. That whole counterculture, Christian culture, it sounds like you yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about, where it has yeah. this edge of 90s culture to it, mm-hmm. but it also had that Pentecostal feverism still entangled yeah. in it. Uh, and most of the damage to me from that wasn't really at the hands of really my mom and dad on that. It was more the culture of the church. The culture at large of, yes, of that. Yes, it, yeah. it was more like every adult figure in my life that was based around church, other really than my immediate parents and my immediate cousins right there, were damaging in some way mm-hmm. with it, using that power dynamic and that Bible over my head to make me feel a certain way. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that internalized stuff, like what I talk about in Preacher's Kids, uh-huh. uh, comes from that. Yeah. I, I really I really do not feel that connection to my dad mm-hmm. uh, in that way that the song presents itself. But I do feel that at large, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you how that song came about. I have another friend that's a preacher's kid, and it's one of those things like what we're talking about right now. Unless you've been there, you don't know. Right. It, it's 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 a very niche, certain era of time thing, uh-huh. uh, but it has a lot of people left over from it. And my friend, uh, like he was heavy in it, more so than me or you. Mm-hmm. 
I'd be willing to wager. And his brother, his dad still does the whole thing. He was telling me about how his brother is kind of, what's the stereotype for preacher's kids? We either fall one way or the other. Yeah. And he's more, he was more at the time, the one that falls the other way, always getting him bad and stuff. And he was talking about, yeah, my brother's been baptized like five times in the last two years. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just becoming kind of a thing now. And that's where the line in that song can't get baptized enough to realize yeah. what exactly is wrong with them came from. And I wrote the song after we, we had a laugh about it. And then we had a good cry about, yeah. about other aspects of it. Yeah. And I got off the phone with him and uh, went to work on that. should say that for a long time my dad told me that music 
like I play is evil. Yeah. Uh, but he comes to all my shows that he can. Until next time, thanks for listening.